I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to a special edition of the podcast today as Ben Elwood joins us to discuss his new podcast, Thank God for David Attenborough. My name is Justin Hamilton and I'm spooning with biodiversity here at Big Squid. Thank you for joining me today as we embark on a great chat with Ben about his new podcast, what inspired the actual idea and the people he's been spending time with when he's not being furious at the state of the world here at Big Squid. Turns out Ben is also furious with other people behind my back. And to be honest, I can't believe he's cheating on me with his fury. I thought it was all for me. And it just turns out you can't trust anybody. But um All jokes aside, this is a really interesting look into his new podcast and we even have a nice little 15-minute preview to share that will give you an idea of the soundscapes and the production that Sean Allen is applying to each interview. Also, if you're signed up to our Patreon, you'll be able to access a bonus podcast with Ben. Uh, This was first recorded before, thank God for David Attenborough, even had its official title. It will give you insight into the creative process and a deeper understanding of what has inspired Ben to make this series. If you're keen to check it out along with other goodies, head over to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid and you'll find a tier that suits you. All our Patreon subscribers uh, get an episode dedicated to them and today's shout out goes to Claire Nichols who has been with us from the beginning and uh, when I say the beginning all the way back to October 2021 when I finally set up the Patreon. Look I'm very slow with these things because I like to be thorough and anyway the Patreon is still a pretty brand new thing after all this time but Claire was there right from the beginning so hello Claire I hope you enjoy not only this podcast but the taste that we have coming up for Ben's new project as well. I feel like this actually might be the most pure big squid for you, Claire. 
me excited to talk about someone else's work and Ben oscillating between deep emotion for the world and shouting at the passing clouds. I suggest you listen to half now and then when you realise how potent it is, have the other half later. That was my advice to anyone in my clubbing days and that is my advice to anyone listening to Ben and I on this podcast. So (laughs) have half now, half later. You do it with sandwiches, you do it with podcasts like this, and you do it with other things, and you can work out what those other things are. Anyway, thank you for your support, Claire. I hope you enjoy today's edition of Big Squid, and uh, it's great to have you along and be a part of our community. All right, let's get on with it and bring in one Benjamin Elwood Esquire. First question that I have for you, oh Benjamin, God. and it's oh an important God. question. We're talking about me for once. I'm clamming up. I know. it's uh, <laughs> The panic correction has kicked in. And uh, so the podcast is called Thank God for David Attenborough. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a slightly ironic title. Well, he, also, is, he is no, by no means a religious person, no. and nor am I. So it is more a turn of phrase. Okay, well then... But thank I, God for David Attenborough. Well, I was wondering uh, when, when you... <laughs> Came up with that title. Which yeah. god were you picturing? Uh, the animus, the uh, the god of animism that uh, states <laughs> that all nature and all things are a manifestation of a divine entity. Yes, great. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's uh, that's what I, I, I put my bet on. I don't have, uh, and we've talked about this a lot. I don't have any religion. I don't like the word spirituality, but. I guess for want of a better phrase, there's I have a cosmology or a spirituality or whatever you want to, however you want to frame it, and it is definitely that that uh, that all things are a manifestation of nature, and thus all things have something resembling divinity. Maybe we can call it Benology, and then we can <laughs> then we can start a movement, and uh, I'll be the treasurer, which is the first sign that this is going to go horribly pear shaped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, uh, basically, if, my cosmology is a cobbling together of Grant Morrison comics and too many magic mushroom trips in my early twenties. Oh yeah, okay, that yeah. Fa- sounds fair enough. Yeah. Uh, if you would like to uh, become a part of the <laughs> Benology, uh, please send money uh, not through the banks uh, in cash yeah, yeah, in Bitcoin. bags. Just leave it in the park down at uh, Centennial Park, and uh, I'll find it, and uh, you'll be a part of it. Yeah, thousands of dollars, please. <laughs> uh, when did you? really uh, kind of know that you went from Hmm. living a life where, you know, you had animals around you to kind of starting to think about them as, uh, you know, nature as something that has its own life. Uh, This actually comes up in the conversations on the podcast quite a bit. Um, Pretty early on, I think I was always, as a really young kid, fascinated by the way animals communicate with each Mm -hmm. other. And so I remember being very young, sitting in my grandparents' backyard and watching a mature magpie yip, yip, yip at a uh, juvenile magpie. Right. Kind of running it through the ropes, teaching it stuff. And I remember just sitting there transfixed, like watching it. How old are you with this? Oh, I must, I would have been under 10. Yep. Uh, And I I still remember, you know, you have these moments from childhood that feel like massive shifts in consciousness yep. like up, upgrades yeah like whoa like you know it's like a the curtain is lifted and you understand something innate yeah that you didn't understand before i think uh, i might get the author's name i think uh, off the top of my head uh, richard watson talks about uh, around the ages four or five you get the mm. upgrade that stops you from being a pissing shitting eating yes. machine yes. to 
realizing that other people have an internal life and that's 100%. where they think uh, imaginary friends come from. 100%. And you see it with kids all the time, yeah. that shift where they suddenly realize that their actions have effect on space and on other people. Yeah. Um, and that other people have emotions. Um, so I remember that really clearly, this moment of like, oh my God, they're talking to each other. Right. And, and that inherently made sense despite the fact that I went inside and told my uncle that the birds are talking to each other and he went oh yeah animals talk to each other okay what are they talking about Ben and even at that age going well not fucking religion or philosophy you idiots like, yeah you know, they're talking about big brother what do you think they're talking about you they're idiot. talking about the things they talk about but yeah. clear, it's clearly a language yeah like i'm not saying it's as sophisticated as all english or any human language but it, it is it's a language there's they people are, out there communicating. there's people out there who speak english and it's probably less uh 100%. sophisticated than uh yes a magpie by the way just as a little tangent uh have you seen Peggy and Molly on oh, Instagram? Yeah. You're not on Instagram. I'll yeah. show you afterwards. It's yeah. a uh, a magpie that uh, I think the origin story was that maybe it was uh, discarded or it was injured and it has come to live with these people and it lives with this dog. Beautiful. And uh, the magpie has learnt to bark. <laughs> and now it now lives inside and they've been, they're friends and there's a, there's a pup that lives with them as well mm. and they they play yeah. like they play over toys yeah. and they sleep together yeah. and they and they chat <laughs> and there are every time the poor thing goes outside there's other magpies that are really fucking angry of course but there was one species traitor oh yeah that's exactly what it's <laughs> like but there was one i i didn't know whether to find this to be hilarious or confronting, or a mixture of both. Mm. But in the caption, the the people who own them kind of uh, write captions that are what they believe their dialogue is. And it's like, you know, Peggy saying to Molly, or Molly saying to Peggy, you know, hey, to the magpie, be careful, uh, you know, if you go out there, because the magpies are out there, yeah, they don't seem to be very happy with me. But And the the dogs are like, the language is like, oh, yeah, but don't worry, we're your friends, we'll protect you. And... You can see the magpie and the dog next to each other looking out, and then they pan the camera over. Ben, there are like four fucking yeah. magpies looking in as if to say, Hi, yeah. why don't you come out to play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a conversation that comes up a lot in the this podcast that I'm doing about the way we tend to anthropomorphize animals yes uh, and we project an emotional state on them and I've always had the notion that uh, it's not that we are projecting things onto the animal it's that we are recognizing something innate right. it's that we are recognizing the animal within us right and that these states of mind be it rage joy even jealousy are not uniquely human yeah they didn't pop up 200,000 years ago when we came down from the trees. They've, they've existed across the spectrum of life for probably millions of years. Yeah. Uh, and virtually every um, biologist or naturalist that I've spoken to for this project, uh, that's, that's a, that, to them that's a given, of course. Right. That's, you know... And, and that there is a usefulness in anthropomorphizing. Because I've always, I've always had people in my life that have made, not made fun of me, but kind of like, you know, oh, you fucking, you know, you smoke too much weed and watch too many nature documentaries. You're seeing shit that's not there. Right. Um, but 
my experiences with animals have taught me that the, that it is there. I mean, you know that I used to be a dog trainer for many years. Yeah. Um, and I keyed into it probably about a year into the job. I would um, uh, I would often be in a pen with like forty or fifty dogs at once. Right. And it is like it's chaos. You yeah. As you can imagine, it's full on when there's that many dogs together. Um, and for the first year, I was talking to them as though they could understand me. And then what I came to realize is it was much easy. It was going to be much easier for me to learn how to talk dog. Right. Than for them, 50 individuals to learn how to talk human. Right. So once I learned how to talk dog, and by that, I mean, uh, being keyed into what different head motions mean and like different, like, and you look insane. (laughs) Yeah. don't, Don't get me wrong. You look crazy, but I found once I started doing that, a level of harmony and understanding that spread through the pack uh, was profound. And and the control that I needed to have was very easy. Right. It was just about maintaining calm uh, and being the calm center of the universe. That was the true manifestation of control rather than sit down, don't listen to me. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, and you see that with interacting with kids as well, the more you have to shriek and carry on, the less control you actually have. Right. Uh, it, it actually comes from a place of kind of profound confidence in, in the situation. Um, and then I, that, that went further. Uh, I might've told this story on the podcast before, but uh, when I was working at the zoo, um, there was, I used to have to clean out the goat pens uh, and there was one of the male goats, this f- stinky old Billy goat. And he was awesome, but he was on heat. So he had to be separated from the females. Um, and I'd have to go into his pen and clean up his shit. And every time I t- every time I turned my back, he'd rear up on his hind legs and bat like butt me. Right. Because he saw he was like you you're here to steal my women. Yeah. And I kept like like piss off like I'm yeah. not I'm cleaning up your shit I'm not here to steal your women. Um, but he of course he doesn't like you know to him it's just a weird looking fleshy goat going rawr, 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 rawr. like yeah. it doesn't make sense to him yeah and has the run of the pen as well exactly yeah yeah i can come and go as i want like yeah. you know there's the weird power imbalance so in the end I was, and again i must look completely insane but in the end i just went oh for fuck's sake and i got down on my knees and i pretended that my arms were horns and i locked my hands around his horns as though we were you know locked in with each other and we just started wrestling with each other and in the end he yielded and right. he went back, and from that day forth, he never headbutted me ever again. And the only time he'd ever approach me was to lick my hand as I was sweeping. And I'm, you know, I'm convinced that in that moment, I spoke goat and met him on his level, and went, yeah. "All right, you want to challenge me? Fine, let's let's have a challenge." Yeah, you know. And in his goat language, it was like, "Oh, you you won. There's no point challenging you anymore." What happens if you lose that fight? <laughs> My ego is already so so whittled down. I can't imagine how it would be being dominated by a goat. Ah, oh, this is a disaster. Now you know how Scotty Pippen feels. Sorry, it's a little Michael jo- uh, Jordan uh, goat joke. Um, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like yeah. It, you know, it's um, I I, I just yeah, and uh, so that is a, that 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 interaction. The fact that you can have a conversation, quote unquote, with a being who. The experience of life is incomparable to yours mm. and who you can't even, you know, it's the whole other minds thing. You can't 
you know, you can imagine what it's like to be a goat, but really you're just imagining what it's like to be a human walking around on all fours. Well, you can't. You can't project your... So the, it's, but the fact that you can have an interaction that makes sense to both beings yeah. is profound. To, I, I just think it's so interesting. Yeah, you, you know, like I, I know I was just being, you know, flippant with the uh, Michael Jordan joke, but it's not that actually thinking about it. It's actually not that far removed from, mm. you know, you watch The Last Dance and... Yeah. The, the reverence with which Steve Kerr's talked about because he got into a fist fight with Jordan. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it, it's always fascinated me. Like uh, I was brought up by uh, mum who's a vegetarian. Mm. She, from a very young age, you know, in a family of meat eaters with brothers and sisters who tore shreds off her and a, and mm. a father who tore shreds off her. Mm. Always always uh, had an affinity with animals and that's why you know and by the way being a vegetarian uh, as far back, back then, as the 60s yeah. that that meant that you could eat potatoes yeah and that's it that's, <laughs> or, that's or, true you know, progressivism like, you folks. know yeah you know it's uh there, there weren't the options. Well, you know, of course there were other food, but this is back in the day of put it in a pot, uh, put yeah. it in some water, uh, boil it until it has no colour or flavour <laughs> and put it on the plate and uh, there you go. God, vegetarians, fuck, they've got nothing to eat. Totally. It's like nobody knew how totally. to cook. But So I was brought up from a very young age. Uh, she never, uh, uh, you know, uh, once again, I've talked about this, but she never got me to be a vegetarian because that wasn't my choice. Mm-hmm. But from a very young age, it's like, how can you look at a dog mm. or a cat mm. and not see something going on? And that's why yeah. I've never really understood when someone, you know, when people plant their flag in the ground and say, I'm a dog person, mm. I'm a cat person. Mm. I understand it from maybe it might be a smell thing or something like that. But, you know, that's that's like saying, you know, like it's, I'm exaggerating here, but it's a bit saying, I'm a white person. I, I'm, I, I like black people. You know, it's like everyone's different. Yeah. Like every dog I've met's different. Every yeah, yeah, cat yeah. I've met yeah, is yeah. different. It's a personality thing. I've always said that I enjoy dogs that are in touch with their inner cat and cats that are in touch with their inner dog. Absolutely. You know, you don't want anything that's too... Like a, a doggy dog is... Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah, all right, relax. And, yeah. you know, a cat that, you know, here's some food... Fuck yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's, it's, it's the balance. Yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of open mic comedians. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you uh, explore this from a young age? Did you have someone who was encouraging you, or was this a. No, 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 not at well, all. See, I find that even more fascinating. No, like, I think. Uh, I don't know. Like, I always just. I, 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 I just always fucking loved animals so much. Yeah. I just felt really. And to this day, I just feel completely at peace when I am around, you know, virtually any animal. Obviously, not some animal that's trying to kill me. No, although that, how how rare that is, and, and that's usually a, a ridiculous story that humans tell themselves because it's passed down from the ages. But you know, most animals are terrified of, of us, and with good reason. Um, but you know, like it's like that. Uh, you know that. Uh I think it's a photo from maybe uh, I, I follow uh, on Instagram once again uh, history photograph mm. uh, and uh, there was a, a, a famous photo I think it's from the 30s and mm. it's uh, a person looking in and uh, at uh, and it says you know this is the most dangerous animal in the world and blah 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 when you look the person's looking in a mirror of course it is yeah yeah of course I mean you know uh, and 
it makes sense that, you know, I do understand the general hostility that humanity has towards animals. Uh, we were slave to the elements and to nature for most of our existence. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, when you're living amongst nature, it doesn't really pay to have a lot of reverence for a tiger because, you know, that thing's going to fuck you up. Yeah. Um, but now the tables have turned so dramatically to, that we still hold... It's like a vestigial limb or something that we hold on to this fear. And it's, you know... Well, it's, 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 humanity's the equivalent if you kept visiting that goat and, and fucking locking horns with it every day. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, You're done. It's, you're done. You've sorted you know, it out. A snake... Yeah, people get bitten by snakes, but it's actually an anomaly. A right. snake can't eat you. Yeah. Why is it? It's not maliciously out to get you. Nothing's you, maliciously out to get you. Well, Even you've never seen like, that movie with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, uh, <laughs> of course. You know, or, or, or sharks, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it comes up in the fish episode of this podcast. You know, we talk about sharks and, you know, the, 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 the number that Jaws did on people's uh, perception of sharks. Like um, I know. And it's it, it kills me because I, I love that film. I love Jaws too. But, but it, it did some damage. It did some real damage. And the reality is... Sharks aren't evolved to eat human beings. Yeah. They're evolved to eat seals. Yeah. So when someone dies from a shark bite, they're not being eaten. Yeah. The shark is going, oh, what are you? Yeah. Takes a bite. Yeah. And unfortunately, when a great white shark takes a bite out of you, you bleed to death. Yeah. Or, or you potentially bleed to death. Um, so the world would be heaps better if we could teach sharks to nibble. <laughs> yeah. Just a little little tasting session. Be a much better uh, news story, wouldn't it? Uh, today, a surfer lost a little toe when a shark came up, had a little nibble and went, oh, no, thank and you. And it spat it out so he could sew it back on. But um, it's, you know, and, and then, of course, the human reaction to that is, well, we're going on a fucking posse to kill all the sharks. Right. Like, just... How retrograde oh, and ridiculous. I'm guessing Moby Dick did that for whales as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, but th- that, that human that human hostility to nature, I, you know, I think it's deep within us. Uh, but we also need to recognise that the tables have turned. I don't know. I just, I, I feel, I feel bad for people that don't, well, I don't feel bad. It's not that I feel bad. I don't know. I just, nothing brings me more peace than when I'm in nature and some whatever animal comes by. There is yeah. a, just observing it, going about its day. I am free from the shackles of my own neuroses and time and everything. And it's and it's a recognition of just the innateness of existing. Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, when I go for a, a run or a walk down Centennial Park, yeah. that's just Centennial Park. Yeah. There's the the birds that are squawking. Mm. There's the geese. Mm. There's the ducks. You know, I find ducks immensely entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Immensely entertaining. Yeah. Uh, the magpies there. There's all sorts of birds that I have no idea what they are, but yeah. I'm just always curious when you make eye contact with them. Yeah, what's uh, going on with you? Like, what's what happening? Is, yeah, what's happening like, there? Well, you know, and yeah. it's... Yeah, it's... What is it? It's... I don't know. It, you're missing out on a lot if you can't connect with some sort of animal. Yeah, I just... Uh, so, yeah, it's always been there. It wasn't really fostered or anything. I think if it was fostered, I maybe would have gotten into some kind of well, veterinary work or something. It was, it's always just a... It's all, but it's, it's, it's a side passion that has always, always, always been there. Yeah. Like, and it's one of the few things that's been with me my whole life that hasn't kind of faded away or yeah. I've grown out of or whatever. In fact, I find it becoming a deeper and resonant, more resonant thing the older I get. Yeah. Just the fragility of things and Interesting. the temporality of stuff and how most animals have a very short lifespan. And, yeah. just, and, and just that, like, profound respect for the ability of 
virtually every creature other than us to just exist and just free of the chatter. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I, again, I don't know what it is to be a goat or a bumblebee or whatever, but I got to assume that they're not walking around all day going, oh my God, oh, I just went, I just, I just went bad to that other guy. Does he think I'm a fucking idiot? What, what, am, I, what am I? Who am I? <laughs> like, I yeah. just think they're just doing what they do. Yeah. You know, I think that most animals are better at being themselves than we are at being ourselves. Oh yeah. You know, like part of the, um, uh, the, actual genuine joy I took in the first lockdown yeah. when the world is in, you know, crisis and there's been this psychic backlash yeah. that has r- rotated around the world over and over again. And it's it, the biggest thing since September 11 in, oh, in that yeah, regard, exactly, right? Yeah. And then, you know, the the sheep in that Welsh town that just just decided to go for a wander. Yeah. We're walking the streets. Yeah. They're at the McDonald's. Yeah. Like, they're having a good time. Yeah. And it was the thing that brought me joy yeah. was the animals just going, oh, I think they've left. It was even around here. Like, I even, for a while there, I was telling that routine about going out to do some grocery shopping and walking out, and there was a dead rat on the road, and yeah. there were all these birds, like, you know, ibis, yeah. mag- uh, crows, you know, all a couple of pigeons having a snack. Yeah. And I walked out, and the way they looked at me was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I think... I think you've missed the bus. You're gone. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're back. It's our world now. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here? Sorry, this just... Like, we didn't prepare enough rat for you. Yeah. You are not <laughs> yeah. having any of this. Yeah. Um, the uh, I've become really fascinated with crows over uh, the many years My as well. Birds. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, I did not know that. My... Um, just in case anyone thinks that this conversation's not nerdy enough, <laughs> it was the... Uh, what was it? Was it... Was a oh, I might have this wrong. Was it Alan Moore or Neil Gaiman? We, uh, it's one of the comics where oh, I think it was Sandman, where oh. the, uh, uh, the the crows get together and oh yes, yes yeah, yes, yes, and then the crow funeral, the crow funeral, which is true. That happens, a thing, right? That happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you explain it for anyone who doesn't uh, know um, about them? So basically, uh, when a crow, I mean, crows do all kinds of nutty things. Yeah, they're they're, they're they're called in nature circles feathered apes. Right. Denoting a level of intelligence that's equivalent to chimpanzee. Right. Uh, they have, a, they, you know, they have three tool, three, um, three step tool use. Okay. What hug, do you mean by that? That they can, they've set up all these kind of tests where they'll hide a piece of meat in a series of locked boxes. And right. That require uh, the use of two tools stuck together and then three steps to open the box and a crow can do it no problem. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's spookily intelligent. They have hardcore facial recognition. Right. They seem to be able to pass down descriptions of certain people intergenerationally. Oh, yeah. So uh, just it, sorry to interrupt, but that's happened to mum with uh, magpies because there's a park near her place crazy. and... Uh, they see her and, you know, mum will just kind of talk very nicely to them. And then the, her house is probably over the road, three houses down. Mm. And the magpies bring the babies to her backyard because yep. she feeds them. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, there's a, there, there's an abs- there, there, there is a deep consciousness going on that we have only started to scratch the surface of. Yeah. Uh, and if anyone is interested in crows, there's a great documentary on, it's a BBC, but it's on YouTube called A Murder of Crows. Right. And it goes into a lot of this stuff. But uh, the crow funeral uh, or the raven funeral, uh, they're kind of interchangeable. It's um, obviously they're different species, but a lot of the behaviours are interchangeable. Um, 
so one will die and then all of their fellows will gather in a big circle around the corpse and silence descends just pin drop silence as they yeah. all you know who knows like maybe they're just like oh he's dead but yeah or maybe they're all around going hey uh, let's have a minute of silence for gary silence. and then at once without once or at least a, a, not a sound being made that we can perceive but seemingly without any kind of announcement all 100 or 200 or however many a morning just like fly into the air all at once right announced right uh and yeah it's an observed phenomenon and it's um you know who knows what's going on but from our perspective it very much looks like a, a, a funeral yeah or a type of funeral. Yeah. Do, do elephants have something that's yeah, similar? Elephants yeah. Elephants do the same thing. Well, not the same thing, but they 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 definitely seem to mourn their dead. They cry like tears fall from their eyes, and they have elephant graveyards where they visit the bones of their um, descendants. Descendants. Yeah. And they sit there stroking the bones with their trunks. Yeah. And crying. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, Jesus. I mean, you know, you, yeah, sure, you can do scientific experiments for the next hundred years saying, are they mourning their dead? I, you know, it's the same way they used to, you know, stick knives in dogs and go, do they feel pain? Well, they seem to. Yeah, I think oh, they're feeling yeah. pain. I don't, I don't know if you need to oh, do mate, the scientific experiment. That's my favourite one with fish. Yeah. Uh, don't worry about them. Like, they're not feeling anything, mate, really? as you're watching it yeah. flipping about on the, yeah. on the like, on the jetty. Well, I, I, I get into this a lot in episode five uh, with Professor Cullen Brown, who uh, is big into fish consciousness. Yeah. He does a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, research into the cognitive ability of fish. And we talk a lot about that, you know, yeah. just that there is a whole lot more going on in the fish brain than we even conceive. Yeah. And it's a convenient story that humanity has to tell themselves that fish are basically just these wind up automatons. Cause how else can you feel okay about trawling the ocean and killing trillions of them every year? You know, there was a, uh, I won't name it because it's, because people lost work and I, I, I don't, you know, I don't wish that on anybody, but there was a um, uh, a well-known uh, legacy restaurant in Sydney that's closed mm. in recent times and mm-hmm. everyone was lamenting that it was closing. And I, back when I ate, uh, so I, I, I moved from eating all types of food to dropping red meat uh, yep. in, I think maybe 2003 mm-hmm. and then uh, ate white meat for a while and then it just... It falls away. Just falls away, right? yeah. you know. It's uh, but uh, so this was back when I still ate white meat at least, and I went to that restaurant once, and I found it so sad and confronting to be sitting in a place oh. where you could just look over and and there's yeah. a massive fish or lobster mm. crammed into yeah. a tank, yeah. looking at you, and yeah. you, that you can just go, "I'll take that one." And yeah. it's like, oh, like that is awful. Yeah, there's a because you know I understand the the bagging it up and wrapping it in plastic and it having no resemblance to what it actually was a lot more than that. Yes, because at least when it well, you can disassociate, you can't you? Disassociate because really, I mean, when it comes down to it, unless you're a fucking complete psychopath, right? If you think about it too hard, you start feeling pretty bad, right? Right. You you know (laughs) you know you know what was the uh, the last thing for me to Mm. let go of in white meat? Chicken loaf. You know why? Because that could be... Could be anything. Could be anything. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, if it was in the shape of a chicken. 
Yeah, to- totally, you know. Uh, and I, yeah, I've told you about my experience a couple of years ago having to take out a chicken. Uh, and it yes. was really, con- it was like, it was super confronting. Oh, yeah, no. Super confronting. This is the, the guy, you know, uh, what is it? Is it uh, probably around spring like when i was a kid you know and there's always the the, the little birds that aren't going to make it mm. and they get thrown out of the nest and mm-hmm. oh my poor grandfather would just see me come home oh i found another bird maybe we can he'd be like mm-hmm. oh, and then he would just do the flick of the wrist and yep. it would be <laughs> so much but yep. i was incapable of letting it go yeah and it's um but, but it's the right thing to do yeah, it will. Yeah, guess. I mean, absolutely. You know, and that's the. I mean, I've had to kill a couple of birds in my life. Yeah, and uh, it's horrific. But it and was that's also- why the band will never be able to reunite. What was that? And that's why the band will never be able to reunite. <laughs> uh, sorry, but it yeah, was, yeah, it's horrific. But it's but it's also like it was also one of the, the first time I did it was the first time I kind of felt properly like an adult, not because I've killed something, but yeah. because I did something that I really didn't want to do, but identified that it was the correct thing to do in yeah. that moment. Yeah. Uh, and had to deal with the blowback psychologically from that, you know, whatever. Yeah. There's two more things that uh, I'm really keen to ask you. The first one is, uh, so when did you discover David Attenborough? Oh, that's... It's funny because I, I know that I must have watched him a lot as a child, but I really like really became very, very obsessed and devoted in my probably late teens. Right. Uh, When I started buying the, I bought the, so for anyone that doesn't know, David, obviously David's incredibly ubiquitous. Everyone knows David Attenborough. Yeah. Uh, But I think these days people know him more as the kind of voice of God narrator. Right. Uh, And, the things, the documentaries that aren't seen as much anymore because they're a little bit dated. Uh, it's his life series. Yeah. So there's uh, nine series in total, the life box set. Uh, and it starts with life on earth and it goes all the way through to life in cold blood, which is a um, description of all cold blooded life. Um, and I bought that box set of all the documentaries and it's one of those foundational texts that changed my entire reality. Right. Changed everything. Um, Cause it, I think confirmed a lot of the stuff that I thought about nature and about animals. It provided me with a depth of empathy that I'd never experienced in my life before. Uh, and it just, it was just, it was, and just the dramatic nature. It's the best story ever told. Like, right. You know, I remember there was probably about two years where I didn't watch anything but Attenborough. Yeah. And I, and I, and you know, I'm particularly OCD and obsessed when I get onto something. But I remember in the middle of that thinking I would never be able to watch anything fiction ever again because nothing ever matched. You watch, you watch, you watch a great episode of Attenborough and it has everything. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's beautiful. It's revelatory. It's, you know, uh, it's profound. It's heartbreaking. It, it, It has all the, spectrum of emotion that you would want out of a great film or a great novel or whatever. Uh, and it's all there. And it has the added bonus of being real and you're being, I just, I, I just felt my brain lighting up with him and, and, and the life series is, I always go back to it as much as the, the new stuff, the, the footage is beyond anything yeah. you could even imagine anymore. But what I love about the life series is it's him front and center. It's yeah. him 
presenting every segment to camera. Yeah. You know, here I am on the tallest mountain in the world. Here I am in the uh, Amazon rainforest. Just on and on and on and on. Um, and just uh, there is there is no one, no artist, no author, no nothing in my life, uh, figure in my life other than obviously people I've had direct contact with, friends and relatives. But when I talk about someone who I'd never met, there's no one that's had more of an influence on my life than David Attenborough. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about when you watch his stuff is that he doesn't tell you what to feel. Nope. He just reports it. Yep. And then that allows you to engage with it yep. however you want to engage. Yeah. There's, there's no sentimentality, but there is a deep, deep, profound sense of reverence and awe. Yeah. And that... That is something that I've never seen from any other... I mean, to say he's a presenter is so so diminishing. He's, yeah. he's, he's David. Um, but well, I feel like that's what Cox has picked up on well, as well. David has um, named Cox as his successor. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Yes, Cox d- definitely has. But again, it's it's to me, it's not comparable because Dave... I mean, beyond anything, David's had, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest life of anyone that's ever lived on yeah. planet Earth ever. Ever, ever, ever. Just the, the depth and breadth of experience uh, and the fact and and again this is something I've noticed through doing these podcasts Uh, and it's so refreshing after spending most of my adult years with comedians and performers and artists there's very little ego yeah there is something about working in science and in nature that is eternally humbling right I've, I've spoken to half a dozen people that have discovered species of snake and lizard and cephalopod and mammal and you know and I'm like, oh my, that's amazing. And they're like, yeah, no, it it's, feels really good to contribute to the wealth of human knowledge. But, you know, like, I mean, yeah. I, I, I know very little, really. I know a lot about a very small window of things. <laughs> it's like, you know, and I think that's something that always shines through with David. There's never a ego. And there is this this constant reverence. Like, the, 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 the Green Planet has just started coming out, which right. is a new, um, a new documentary about plants. And he's 95 years old. Right. And there's a shot, it's on YouTube if you want to watch it. There's a shot where he's talking about a pitcher plant being pollinated by little bats. And of course, because he's completely in tune with nature, as soon as he says the word bat, oh, look, a bat flies right into screen right (laughs) Right. there. And just his face is like the most beautiful thing in the world. He's 95 (laughs) years old. He's seen it all. He's got a spot on earth that he hasn't been to. Yeah firsthand and he looks like a child he's yeah. just the joy and the reverence is so you know so i think that what he brings to it it's very difficult not to vicariously tap into his wonder and uh yeah like you know it's a good lesson oh yeah make sure that you stay engaged and yeah you know like and connect and still feel joy like a yeah. you know that sounds like a beautiful scene uh you have a lot of guests on yeah. the podcast. How many episodes are there? So there's 12 in total. So it's so 12 the, guests? Uh, well, no, because two guests are, are returning champions. Oh, okay, right. Uh, so my guest for the clip that you're going to hear on this podcast is uh, my conversation in the plants episode with Lindsay Gray, Dr. Yes. Lindsay Gray from Sydney Uni. Uh, she returns for the birds episode. Yes. Uh, and then uh, episodes uh, nine and ten... Uh, with Professor Matthew Crowther, who is 
a big expert in marsupials and mammals. And so he covers the marsupials episode and the mammals episode. Okay. Uh, so what's this clip that we're going to hear now? Uh, so this is from episode three where I sat with Dr. Lindsay Gray uh, and we watched uh, episode three. They all correlate. Uh, of so, so just back up for a second. This, this series, this season of the podcast covers David's first uh, full-length big documentary series, Life on Earth. Yep. And so Life on Earth was made in 1979 and it covers the full spectrum of the evolution of life uh, from single-celled organisms all the way through to human beings. Great. Uh, and each episode covers a different branch of the tree of life. So one episode's just about birds, one episode's just about reptiles, one's just about amphibians, birds, on and on and on. Uh, and so the, 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 the whole point of the podcast is I have met up with an expert in their field we sit together, we watch we watch the episode, yeah. and we just hit pause whenever we feel like it and talk. And so a lot of the conversations are about what we're seeing on the screen. Right. A lot of it's about David, about nature in general. But of course, like any good conversation, they go off on a lot of tangents. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of... <laughs> it wouldn't be a podcast with me if there wasn't a lot of anti-technology and yep. <laughs> rants. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of that here and there. Um, you know, a, bit, a bunch of society stuff, just wherever it goes. Um and Sean Allen, who is yes. uh, my partner in this, who's a just fucking formidable um, sound designer and musician, he has created soundscapes that bridge um, between the different segments of the conversations. That I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Use David's voice and different sound effects. So it's almost as though you're getting the audible equivalent of sitting with us watching the show. Great. Because obviously you can't watch the show you know it would be a boring podcast if there were just long gaps of silence <laughs> of us just watching yeah um so we've you know the, the, a lot of this has come through in the edit um because these conversations go for three hours yeah most times and so we've cut it down to about an hour at most yep uh with the soundscapes and um yeah i'm really really proud of it um so yes the clip you're going to hear now is my conversation with Lindsay. Uh, we watched episode three, The First Forests, yes. which predominantly covers trees and plants. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm giving you guys like a pretty hefty chunk. It's a 15 minute chunk just yep. so you can really get a feel for what this podcast is. So uh, I've also got the intro. So I wanted everyone to hear Sean's work on the intro as oh, well. Oh yeah, I so, think the song is great. Yeah, so we're going to have the intro. Uh, you're going to hear this uh, nice chunky clip. Yep. And then Ben and I will be back right after that.
Edinburgh with Ben Elwood. jungles filled with such creatures were still only a few inches high. No more than a thick moist carpet draping the sand spits and boulders. For plants like mosses and liverworts were still the only ones that existed on land. Back to what he's talking about, mm. he's referring to uh, trachids. Sorry, what are, tra- what are yeah. trachids? So earlier on we talked about non-vascular plants. Yep. So early plants mosses, liverworts, hornworts don't have any tubes inside them carrying around their water, nutrients, hormones, whatever. Right. Whereas these very early ferns that he's got examples of from the hillside in Wales, I think, um, they had very primitive trachids. Are these equivalent to like veins or vessels? Yes, yes. And those vessels have become very much supported by other structures, wood. So lignin is around sure. them, making them big and strong, and that's wood. Basically, what's the difference between an animal cell and a plant cell? Um, well, structurally, there's a big difference. So animals, for the most part, are mushy, mm. and that's because our cell walls, our cells do not have a wall. Plants have a cell wall. So the reason we're mushy is because we have a cell membrane. Yeah, and, 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 and plants together. have a rigid yeah. wall. Yeah, they've got walls. Extraordinarily, and perhaps we didn't know this at the time, all of the diversity of plant life, plant life you see around, is made up of about twelve to sixteen. I can't remember the exact number. Mm different cell types. Now, think really? about your body. Yeah. Many more different cell types in animals. We're much more differentiated than plants. So like neurons, blood cells, Absolutely. leukocytes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but a plant is const- like all the crazy diversity of plants and yeah. that's all from about, you know, 15 different types of cell. Wow. That's how versatile they are. Amazing. They're like, yep, I can grow into a eucalypt or I could be a cactus or I could be a bryophyte and mm. I've only got these this handful of cell types. Right. Mm. Do you think there's a plant consciousness? Oh, oh, well, they can communicate. Yeah. So that's that's known now. Like they'll release chemicals to one another. Consciousness, look, I don't even know what that is. Mm. What's happening when we're sleeping? Are we conscious? I don't know. No. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, Ben. Do, do, like when you say that, can- I feel. I mean, there's that sense when you're in the forest or at the seaside or something. Like if you you can you feel relaxed by that environment. And there's a lot of recent work looking to improve nature mm. um, nature exposure opportunities for mm. people living in urban environments because mm. it's so good for our mental well being. Yep. Um, and I'm no expert regarding that recent work that's gone on, mm. um, but. There, there is a strong evidence that it's important for us to be with nature. Now, what is what are we receiving? You know, mm. we are a receiver of the world around us. We've got yeah. these elaborate senses yeah. that are attuned to the environments that we evolved in. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess there's they're saying something to us, the plants. I don't know what. I think, you know, tree consciousness or tree communication or whatever you want to call it is something that 
I think most people would dismiss as hippy dippy kind of like in the tree hugging bullshit. Mm. So that's it is, but it is real, right? Uh, well. Plants and trees are plants yeah. are capable of making a whole range of sort of extra chemicals. So you know they have, they have their chemicals that they use to um, actuate normal life stage stuff like yeah. reproduction, growth, whatever. But mm. then they have this other whole suite of chemicals mm-hmm. which they use to protect themselves from their natural enemies. That's one of the terms in uh, life history biology which I absolutely hate. Yeah. Natural enemies. Yeah. Anyway, so your natural enemies. Wait, why do you uh, why do you hate it? Because it's a it because it's a so judgment weird. call? I don't know, it just sounds Enemy. weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah, maybe that's why. Yeah. Mm. Um, thank you. You're helping <laughs> me understand myself. So, um, they produce things like secondary uh, metabolites or whatever, which we know about as human beings, beans, because that's what makes tea yummy and coffee yummy and stuff. It's all these extra chemicals. And they're often for um, preventing predation, so to stop a browser or whatever. Uh When trees are browsed by... They're natural enemies. (laughs) Natural enemies. (laughs) I think it just sounds ridiculously quaint. Yeah. Enemies. Anyway, um, they will release an extra set of chemicals, which the other trees receive and Mm. respond to. Mm. And what they can do is receive these chemicals and up their secondary metabolite loadings. So they can make themselves more um, unpalatable. Because there's a predator out there. So so Joe Bloggs down the road is getting nibbled. I don't want to get nibbled. Oh, dear. I can sense that he's getting nibbled. Well, not he, but yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, they yeah. up their secondary metabolites to the distastefulness. But what what is the advantage of a tree alerting its fellow trees to mm. – Like that, I mean, you know, we talk about consciousness or at least community or an idea of community – what is the net benefit for the individual in alerting its fellows that, I mean, wouldn't it be ad- more advantageous to not let the fellows know yeah. that there's these predators around so, so that the predators move on? It was very trendy until relatively recently to study competition in, in ecology. Mm. And competition was a strong paradigm that we would use to analyse things and understand patterns of um, b- behaviour, I guess, in yep. nature. Yep. And it, for a long time it was like, Conspecific, so same species, compete against one another and it's a great competition and the fittest survives. <laughs> but you need like to mate with. Of course. So I guess as long as there's no intense competition for mm. the resources locally, then you do benefit from protecting your fellow species wow. or individual because you want to mate with them. Yeah. And you might want well, – I mean, I'm anthropomorphising now, but you might want your offspring to have the opportunity to mate into the future. Wow. Maybe trees have a better sense of the temporal landscape than we do. Anyway. Is, is there a part of your, like – more kind of uh, hippy-dippy brain that thinks that trees are kind of um, uh, having an experience of time or an experience of themselves. I don't – oh, gosh. You think very differently to me. I've never that's thought about that. because I'm not a scientist. That. Um, <laughs> that's because I've been raised on fairy tales. And yeah. Um, <laughs> hmm, interesting. Are the trees talking to each other? Yeah. Are the uh, knot holes mouths? So it has occurred to me that my creativity has been – forced, funneled into another trajectory by my training. Yep. So maybe once I would have thought crazy things like crazy shit like that. <laughs> now I'm way too sensible. Um, gosh. I tell you what, this podcast has definitely put to bed a lot of my um, more fanciful notions. We're learning so much about Oh, I've you. asked questions where I've been met with no. <laughs> I, I just think 
we can't at this point we can't measure that, so I can't speak on it. I just don't know. I I don't know. That's I mean, a they measure answer. time within themselves with their tree rings. Yeah, of course. But whether they know they're doing it, they don't have anything analogous to an animal mm. to a nerve. Mm. So you know, a mind requires nerves. Yeah. Um, they might have a whole different method within their 15 cell types <laughs> that allows them to have a consciousness. But yeah. I'm so sorry, Ben, I don't know. No, please. I'd rather that than some made-up answer. I can't. I don't know. I think, you know, we talked before about anthropomorphization with animals. And I think what I was saying about uh, recognizing innate things within animals, I think that's true. I think that I do anthropomorphize plants in a way that is probably false. Like it's difficult when you especially when you not not so much in this documentary but later on in the secret life of plants they're showing sped up footage of vines you know waving around trying to find an anchor point and it's really hard not to project a a, a, an intense purpose onto that and there is but it doesn't mean it's a conscious purpose it's just a thing waving around looking for an anchor point it's not necessarily a hand clasping for something i don't think they're in inanimate fully I, I think it's useful to anthropomorphize them. One of the issues that we have, and it does even come across in lovely David's film, is that we see plants as the backdrop to the animal kingdom. Yep. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, it's a bit trite, but without plants we wouldn't be here. Like mm. they're gen- literally taking energy mm. from the sun mm. and turning it into sugar. Like yep. that's ex- uh, extraordinary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, there's this concept called the green curtain. Mm. So most people without training in botany or plant diversity, they step out and they just – everything is green. It's a plant. Yeah. And it's it comes across in children's books. So I'm reading a lot of children's mm, books now and it's mm. like here's a lovely orange tiger and the book's about the tiger but there's all this wonderful yep. uh, greenness in the background yep. which gets no focus. And I have to actually force myself to say, oh, look, Douglas, there's a flower. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's a yeah, flower yeah. drawn in the background. Yep. So it's a mission now for botanists to – uh, draw back the green curtain mm. and highlight the diversity. And I think if anthropomorphizing them, as David does in his recent work, and you are prone to, mm. if that's going to work, then why not? I don't mind anthropomorphizing them yeah. and their motile sperm. <laughs> as long as they don't come swimming on me, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> but they can be vicious. I mean, one, the most, one of the most venomous plants in the world, Dendrocnides morioides, which I've had the pleasure of being stung by, yeah. grows here in Australia. Like, why is that not as famous as the funnel web? Like, that thing is what does disastrous. It, do? it has silica-like spines that uh, contain a neurotoxin, uh, you know, so that's, in, that's something engaging with nerves. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and it stings you and it hurts like hell. Well, yeah. Like it's it's like being splashed with acid, and really? it lasts for months and months. And to get the spines out, you need gaffer tape and God knows what else. And yeah, so this they're, yeah they're really interesting. Plants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for, from my experience with them, they definitely uh, some kind of uh, ascribing some kind of personality or soul or whatever to them has definitely you and your soul. I know uh, too many drugs. Um, See, no drugs. Yeah, this is drugs versus none. <laughs> the tree feeling things. But I'm, I remember the first experience I had with a tree where I was like, "It's alive." There's this. Um, Morton Bay fig tree in Camperdown Cemetery near where I live. And even if you were a person who ascribed to the green curtain, you couldn't see this tree and not be floored. It is outstanding. It's 
it's it's like the platonic ideal of an old grandmother tree. You know, it's got the the, the beautiful trunk, and then it it splits off into probably twelve different branches, and each branch is the width of the trunk of an ordinary tree. It's just huge must be hundreds of years old and one night many many years ago i was having a terrible time and i found myself kind of curled up in the roots of this tree and again i'm sure it's all projection but i felt so nurtured and taken care of by this tree and I now have maybe a 25 year old relationship with this tree and Mm. every time i sit with it you have a cuddle I feel as though it's an animal. Like I feel like I yeah. would hanging out with yeah. a dog or an yeah, elephant. Yeah, there is a presence well, to it. Well, it's alive, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. And look, and, and and by no means do I think that when I arrive, the trees they're going, oh, good, Ben's here. Like I know that the tree is completely <laughs> indifferent to me. You know, as as it's indifferent to the dog taking a piss on this part of it, or the ants crawling up the trunk, or whatever it is. But. As you say, if me ascribing this kind of personality to it or whatever to it helps me feel a connection to it, yeah, what is the harm? Well, I mean, I am not – I'm so sorry I'm going to bring this up, but are there not multiple dimensions? We've evolved the senses that allow us to see, you know, we hear – we interact with what we need to interact with to continue to survive as a species. Now, that doesn't mean that we are completely unable to sense other stuff that's out there. So. At some level, there's something going on where you're sensing that. I mean, I don't think it's nuts. No, I, I don't feel that. I feel that with plants. Yeah. I don't, and I love gardening. I love putting your little roots in the garden, <laughs> and oh, you're gonna grow. Oh, yeah. you know, like that's a real thing. Yeah. And I don't get that with rocks. No. And I, you know, it's not made up. You, you didn't. You, yeah. No, anyway, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's a very ancient. It's, a, it's, a, you know, animism. It's a very ancient kind of yeah. belief system or feeling that. Mm. Or at least an acknowledgement that this isn't just some static mm. bit of wood. Yeah, good. It lives good. and it's and within itself is an ecosystem. I hope everyone now goes and sits in the little No, stay cradle. away from that tree. That's my tree. Oh. Go find your own tree. I'm already my, – I'm <laughs> racking my mind. I'm like, which corner of the park is he talking about? Is it the Australia Street end? Like it's, in the, it's in the cemetery. It's, it's the as, cemetery. as you walk through the gates of the there. cemetery. Check that tree out. It is okay. just wonderful. Lovely. But, um, is it Port Jackson Eye? Uh, is it the I'm Port Jackson sh- Fig? Not sure. It's a giant Morton Bay fig. Oh, Morton Bay. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I, I think that people kind of because I know a lot of people that roll their eyes at that kind of you know. Oh. There's probably people listening to this right now going, <laughs> you "I don't idiot. think so." Uh, maybe, but I think that <sighs> I feel bad for them. Like I feel I feel bad for people that could go into the bush and not feel like a sense of like, "Oh, this is." And I, and when I say consciousness, I'm not saying that they're sitting there going, "I am a tree." Yeah, it's the closest word we have yeah. available. Uh, yeah, but like, I, I guess, Vibe. is it an experience of life? Like, are they having an experience of life? Just a, a very obviously very slow motion yeah. experience. I don't know. I um, guess they are. They're, they're certainly interacting with their environment as yeah. we are, but with how that manifests, um, I don't think it's in thought like ours. No, not at all. But I, I don't know. So I can't speak tree. I mean, who's to say that thought is even the greatest mode of being? Sometimes it's Well, I don't know because I didn't do what you did in your 20s.
I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. What's the best thing that you like about me? No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, the wrong question. Sorry, that was my inner you monologue. Know I love you. No, stop it. Uh, what are the three most interesting things off mm. the top of your head mm. that you learned that you had no no kind of inkling about? <laughs> uh, can you can you even limit it, or just just give me three? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the one of the recurring kind of gags that keeps coming up in every episode is. Um, me bringing my because you know most of the people I talk to I ask them about you know is there a fish consciousness is there a tree consciousness and yep. that came up in the clip that you yeah. just heard um, it's um, I think one of the things that makes me laugh the most is um, how that question is contrasted by people who actually know what they're talking about. Right. It's not that people are closed to that. It's that they're a lot more pragmatic about it than I've been throughout my life. Okay. I'm, you know, I, I come at it from a much more kind of, well, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think having that uh, answered in a much more pragmatic, scientific way over the course of 12 conversations um, has definitely made me realign my perception on that thing thought okay uh not in a negative way like not in that cold clinical kind of oh well i was wrong and me, 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 me. um but i didn't expect that i didn't expect to end these conversations and have my perspective on something that i've thought my whole life very changed right um so how was it changed well just that th- there's a great there's a great moment in um uh, my conversation with Dr. Mandy Reed, who's the cephalopod mm-hmm. curator at the Australian Museum. Uh, and we're watching, you know, the episode all about squid and cuttlefish and all that. And I bring up the whole octopus thing, which is very in the zeitgeist at the moment. Absolutely. Like, oh, octopus are these almost like alien beings. They're so smart. Uh, and, you know, I bring that up and she's like, look, yeah, they, they are really smart and I don't want to rain on your parade, but they're also just animals doing what they do really well. Right. You know, they're not these mega geniuses. They, right. they, they have a morphology that allows them to do certain things. They're eight-limbed and so, of course, you know, they can do things that fish can't do. Right. But, and, I, and, I, and I ask her, I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard the story about, it's a very famous story that um, that is supposed to, you know, illustrate how profoundly intelligent octopus are and how they're able to project themselves outside of themselves and perceive what we perceive and all the rest. It's the story of, I think, mean, I believe it's the San Francisco Aquarium where um, uh, um, at, at closing time, everyone would leave and the octopus would pop the lid off its tank. Right. It would jump out of yes. its tank. Yeah. It would scurry across the floor. Yeah. It would jump into the tropical fish tank, eat some fish, yeah. jump back out, scurry back to its tank and then the part that blew my mind the most was it would slide the lid shut right on its tank right and in my mind it was like holy shit that it's covering its tracks yes it's it, a dog doesn't cover its tracks like that like the, it, it, the the octopus is covering its tracks knowing full well that if it slides its lid shut yeah it'll you know that th- no one will know that it was the octopus and she's just like no, that's just what they do in nature. When they go back to their burrows, they just slide a shell over the door because, right. of course, they don't want to be exposed right. for what someone's saying. Yeah, know? yeah. And we're both, like, cracking up. But she's like, it wasn't, you know... Like, it's very smart. Yes. But it wasn't... It's not what you think it is. It's not It's not sneaky. Yeah, it's not sneaky. It's, it's just doing what it yeah. does in nature because, of course, it's not going to go into its burrow and leave the door open so it's open yeah. to predators. It would have been sneaky if it went and got the mop yeah. and cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> then it's sneaky. 
Yeah. Oh. So just little little things like that, right. which you know, it's like, oh, oh, okay. There's this yeah. thing that I thought my whole life. Yeah. And but but short of it didn't it hasn't like crushed me or anything. It's just that reminder of like that you can't know what it is to be this animal, and yeah. you're projecting a human consciousness yes. or a human uh, motivation onto a thing that. It's just doing what it does in just, nature. Right. Uh, and so there's been a lot of those co- types of conversations of, um, you know, which I, I found hugely educational. Yeah. Uh, and, and they kind of, um, they, they, they uh, look, they suck a little bit of the mysticism out of certain thoughts. But right. I think that it's replaced with a much, uh, an even deeper thing. Yeah. And I guess the analogy to that is that, you know, when you start understanding evolution and how things quote-unquote, turn into other things over millions of years and everything. Far from being a disturbing thought that a lot of fundamental religious people find, you know, don't tell me that I used to be a sea cucumber. Yeah. Uh, I find it to be so profoundly beautiful that yeah. it is all, you know, that, that, that great Grant Morrison thing that, you know, if you could see life as in block time, we're all just this multi-limbed creature yeah. that, that that starts it as a single cell. It's it's we're all part of the same thing, and it's that that to me is so profoundly beautiful. And if you know, it, it, that's what allows me to feel this whatever kinship for other animals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that. Um, I have a great conversation with um, Professor Richard Shine, who is uh, a reptile expert uh, and has pioneered the use of. Uh, cane toad sausages in the wild. So he's um, figured out a way to train native animals to avoid cane toads by um, leaving tiny little cane toad sausages around just enough to make them go, but not enough to kill them. Right. So that they learn to not eat the real thing. Right. So he's done God's work uh, out in the field. Uh, helping the native populations of quolls and lizards and snakes and, you know, really innovative stuff. So talking to him about that was really mind-blowing. Cane Toad Sausage was my dancing name in the (laughs) 90s too. Sorry, I felt like I had to say it. That is fascinating though. Like what a smart, just once again, you know, we made the joke about if we could teach sharks to nibble. Yeah. Uh, But he's essentially done that. Have a a little nibble of this and when you realise icky... Yeah. Now maybe we have to drop human sausages into the <laughs> into the sea. Yeah, so he's um you know, and again, just so so humble and just so, you know, like, yeah, no, that's something we did. And what really do you good. and what do you think that uh so what are they is it the taste, is it the smell, is it all of that kind of uh yeah, I think coming together to give them a sense of oh yuck, I'm not gonna yeah, I chew think on that. Yeah, I think well, oh. I think that 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 uh you know, say you're a quoll and you eat a cane toad, well you don't have time you know, immediately you'd be like gross, but unfortunately the, they're so toxic that you're dead. Before, you don't get to learn the lesson because you yeah, dead. yeah. Whereas if they just get a little nibble, it's just taste aversion. Yeah, it's just teaching them taste aversion. Yeah, great. But it's such an amazing. You know, it's accepting the fact that the problem exists. So how do we fix? How it? do we? How do we get around it? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's you know, and then and then um, I can't remember who else was telling me. Some I think Lindsay was telling me in the birds episode that a lot of. Um, birds have actually just figured out how to flip the cane toad over, eat its guts, the non-poisonous part, and leave the poisonous part alone. Oh, it's, so you know evolution in yeah, real time. Yeah, what, what, what's that? Uh, what's that uh, fish that people say is a delicacy, but if you eat the wrong parts, fugu, fugu, the blowfish. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's their fugu. Yeah, totally. Hey, honey, we're going out for fugu. 
<laughs> but yeah, like, and I think that's 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 another thing that um, that I found really fascinating. This kind of notion of, you know, I think we think of evolution as like, ooh millions of years and it is obviously mm. for a, a species a species to split off and differentiate into a different species but the learning yeah and minor modifications are actually very fast rel- right. relatively speaking yeah um and that that comes up in a conversation about um the domestication of foxes right um you know you take two two wild foxes and you start selecting for tameness and within three generations, they start getting mottled fur like a dog and floppy ears. And right. They're, you know, they start acting like tame domestic dogs within three generations. Right. Um, so, yeah, this kind of select, different selective pressures uh, channeled in certain directions actually lead to change quicker than people realise. Right. And what about a third one? Do we have something for birds or insects? Uh, let me think. Let me think. God. I put you on the spot. I oh, know. No, it's, it's the, the other thing is, I mean, something we haven't mentioned. This has been, we've been making this for about a year. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I was going to bring that up. Uh, I was going to say, you know, yeah. well, part of what's really exciting about uh, this podcast coming out is you and Sean have been planning and working and you've had to deal with, you know, Nobody uh, is going to be surprised, COVID mm-hmm. and all sorts of yeah. uh, things getting in the way. And it's why it's so exciting. Oh my God. That's yeah. why it's so exciting that it's yeah. here. So, so uh, like about more than half of the conversations you're going to hear uh, when this gets released were recorded nearly a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and we were all on track to release in, I think, June last year. Yeah. And then Delta came along and all the rest. Yeah. Um, you know, and we were almost on the verge of abandoning the project altogether. It just became more, I know. you know, more maybe more effort than it was worth. Oh, man, it was hard to... It's hard to hear that kind of stuff, uh, you know, because I'd hear it a little bit from you. I'd hear it a little bit from Sean. And w- when things are tough, sometimes the last thing you need is someone going, nah, stick with it, mate. Yeah, but, yeah. It, you know, I was a bit worried at times. And well, was- yeah, because uh, this is not the kind of thing that is easy to do on Zoom. Because a few of my guests that I didn't that that, that got cancelled were like, well, sh- well, should we just do it on Zoom? It's like, how are we going to watch? Yeah, and also, I'm a big believer in the face to face. Yeah, we're here. Let's you know, we're you know the di- the di- diamondism of just being in a room with someone. Yeah, and I know that most of the tangents that come up in these episodes would not have come up over Zoom. No, they came up because we were just super relaxed with each other. Yeah. Um, I tell you the third thing that. I learned, and it's not necessarily about nature. It's about um, academics, and this was a really initially terrifying thing for me to do. This is the first project I've done on my own, right? Like, obviously, I'm working very closely with Sean, but that's in post. Yeah, uh, I I've been doing podcasting and the rest for a long time, but it's always with someone else. Yeah. Uh, and I've known for the last couple of years that I mean, and, and that's not to diminish my work with you or anyone. I love no, that stuff. Yeah. But but I've known in myself for a long time. Oh, I should probably do something on my own. Yeah. But there's been a real sense of fear of that. It's always it's it, it's it's easy doing it with someone that you trust. Right. You know that if you got a safety net, you got a safety net. Yeah. You know that if you're a bit whatever dusty, yeah, I'll pick up the slack. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Um. So to not only go out on my own, but to suddenly 
do it with Professor So and So, yeah, Doctor This and That. It was like really like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to keep up. I'm really intimidated. I'm not. I I I, I don't have any. I have no education. I'm not. Right. I don't. I I did a TAFE course. I, I have no. I never went to uni. You know anything I know? I know just from my own interests. Um, so the idea of being in a room on my own with Professor So and So, who's achieved a great thing in their life, uh, and holding my own for two, three hours, and not just holding your own, like that thing of doing a podcast on your own. You, 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 you're, you're calling someone that's never met you before oh, to meet up yeah. with them. So and so you have to be your best self as soon as as soon as you meet them oh. yeah the, the last couple the last couple I had to do um, like you, you were generous enough to let me do one here yeah and then I after that I was doing them at my mum's house yeah so you're essentially ringing professor so and so going do you want to come to my mum's house and watch David Attenborough with yeah <laughs> well as long as he didn't say it that way yeah. you know what I mean yeah like, I know it's what like, you mean so yeah. you better be fucking on as you, soon as they walk through the door you have to be present you have, have to be, to be so present, present and you have to make them feel really comfortable and really secure and like they're not wasting their time with some fuckwit yeah. um and so there's a lot of internal challenges to surmount uh, and what i and, and you know i guess before i talked to any of these people i was expecting you know uh haughty haughty mm. and they have been the most generous kind humble people that i've ever spoken to for a project that like every every person i've spoken to has just been so wonderful yeah uh and i think the humility is what surprised me right just awesome people and none of them arrogant none of them like oh yes i'm the person who discovered this yeah you know which you know Again, the contrasting it between hanging out with comedians and performers for so long, you know, yeah. the arrogance that comes with that is huge. Yeah. Um, and then to talk to people who have actually achieved, actually achieved something other yeah. than a great punchline. Yeah. Uh, I know. got a four star review and something you've never heard of. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, that was that was a huge lesson, and that gives me a lot of confidence going forward uh, for the next season of this, which I'm currently planning. Yeah. Great. So uh, let's uh, wrap this up. Uh, the podcast is called uh, Thank God for David Attenborough with Ben Elwood, in case you were wondering who was the host. <laughs> the uh, wh- What day is it launched? Uh, we are launching, we are do- dropping the first three episodes all at once. Oh, a little binge. Yes, a little binge. Uh, on the 14th of February, a little Valentine's Day present. Ah, oh, that's very nice. So Monday the 14th of February, uh, you will get... Episode one about cells with Dr. Matt Padula. Episode two about cephalopods with Dr. Mandy Reid. And episode three about trees and a little bit about bugs with Dr. Lindsay Gray. Well, why don't we do this? We'll uh, You'll drop them on the 14th and then on our private Facebook page for Big Squid. Yep. So if anyone wants to join up, uh, each week I'll set up a thread. Uh, where people can uh, discuss it with you because you're one of the main people in there and uh, then people can uh, chat about what they've heard and what they've learned. Thanks, man. And we can set that up as well. So it's exciting. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really, uh, you know me, I'm very, very, (laughs) very self-critical. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not, you know, I'm I'm really proud of this. I think it's really, I think it, 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 uh, from that clip you just heard, that's very indicative of, 
the tone of this. It, yeah. You know, it's it's getting into some stuff, but it, it's not bogged down in being very serious. It's very, you know, fun and yeah. light and um, they're very joyful conversations. Yeah, and we need a bit of joy. And uh, once again, a big shout out to Sean Allen, who yes. is uh, a delightful human being and, and probably more talented than he realizes. Sean is... Uh, my creative collaboration with Sean brings me so much joy. Yeah. Uh, and we, he, he's the guy that did the, uh, the cat series. Yes. Uh, and I find our, um, back and forth with each other is so easy. Yeah. Uh, and we're coming, we come at this, uh, this, we come creatively at this thing from very different angles, but we align. Yeah. You complement each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, God, we, we spent, we send about 40 messages to each other a day because right. of this thing. So we better, we better get on. <laughs> yeah, no, that, absolutely. That is a really good point. Uh, congratulations, Ben. I can't wait to hear this properly. Thank I've you, been, uh, been excited to uh, know the project was coming together and uh, I can't wait for everyone else to hear it as well. Thank you. Thank you to Ben Elwood and Sean Allen for providing us with that snippet of their new podcast. Remember that, thank God for David Attenborough, will be releasing their first three podcasts on Valentine's Day. So if you'd like to avoid that hallmark holiday, you can just slip on your AirPods and hide away from the rest of the world. That'd be a nice way to spend it, wouldn't it? Uh, If you're looking for some extra work produced by me, head over to justinhamilton.com.au. We've actually revamped the site recently. has beautiful artwork by Andrea Beatrice on the cover. Uh, (laughs) It's me with an obsolete t-shirt looking up at UFOs taking other people, and I look kind of (laughs) wistful. I had no idea where that was going when she first asked to paint me, and I am wrapped with uh, what she's produced. So that's kind of our late landing page if you're wondering what that looks like. Anyway, there's a new Dispatches from the Fury Road blog. Be gone, progress. Be gone about my fun times buying a new computer and the fabulous comedian I had to call in to save my still pretty tidy ass. There you go, a little humble brag at the end of this this, uh, prompt. But uh, I plan on uh, making the blog a more regular thing. This is part of uh, the plans that we have for 2022. And so if you enjoy reading uh, some short pieces, you can find it over there uh, on the site. I'll be back next week. I think it's going to be two podcasts next week. We have a legend of the Australian comedy scene joining me. More a cult legend. I won't tell you who it is, but uh, he now lives in Adelaide after travelling all over the world. And he has a new show coming up uh, for the Adelaide Fringe. So I have a chat to him about that. And also on that same episode, a new up-and-coming musician that I have made friends with. It's his first appearance on the podcast. He is an absolute delight and we'll have a little bit of music as well. There hasn't been enough music on this podcast of late. It is something I'm trying to rectify. It's it's been a bit movie-heavy for my liking. I like to have TV. I like to have music. I like to have all sorts of things in there. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that coming out. And then I have a feeling, fingers crossed, we're just sorting out the last bit of production on it. We might finally, finally be unveiling our first short story 
for Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted. It's going to be uh, a part of the Big Squid podcast channel and it is going to be short stories uh, for you. So it's uh, got a little storytelling aspect. I've heard the second to last draft of the uh, opening tale. I don't want to give anything away. Just a few little things need to be done, but oh, it sounds pristine. Uh, The production's being done by Sean Allen, who's working with Ben on his podcast. So you know it's going to be good. So that'll be next week. So I think there'll be two next week. Uh, so keep an eye out for them. If you're uh, wanting to keep across things, head over to the Big Squid Facebook page and you will be able to uh, see what's going on there. Also, if you just like chatting about things and you want to do it in an environment where you don't have to worry about spoilers, etc., head over to the private Big Squid page. It's only private because... We just want to put up spoilers and not have to worry about things. I only go in there when I know I can be safe. Like, as an example, I didn't want to go in there uh, before I'd seen episode five of The Book of Boba Fett, which has been a very disjointed series. Uh, It hasn't quite been as smooth as the work on The Mandalorian, but I've still enjoyed it enough that I didn't want things ruined, so I made sure that I watched it before I went in there and... Our little community had a nice little chat about that. That was a fun chat, actually. So uh, if you want to join up, you're more than welcome to. And uh, please come along. Okay, let's finish today with a quote from the great David Attenborough himself. It seems to me that the natural world is the greatest source of excitement, the greatest source of visual beauty, the greatest source of intellectual interest. It is the greatest source of so much in life, that makes life worth living. Until then. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.